Our scripture today will be coming from 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. While you're turning, we are so blessed in this church in many ways. You just heard uh, some beautiful uh, ministry by our choir and our music team, and we are so grateful for that. There's also another group that I that typically works behind the scenes that I think we owe uh, some gratitude to, and they're known as the Altar Guild. The Altar Guild just does an incredible job each week. They make sure that the pyramids, the cloths that we have in the church are the right color, that everything is in the right place. And Christmas and Easter are really busy times for our Altar Guild. As a matter of fact, last Sunday afternoon, they came back together, went to the Family Life Center where the 1010 service is, and they spent the time decorating that space, had everything ready. Then Monday morning, bright and early, we're here in the sanctuary. You can see a decorated Christmas tree, and it's called a Christmas tree with the ornaments that we have on this tree, all symbols of our faith. We made sure the tree was decorated in place, the wreaths, the lights, the poinsettias, the nativity scenes, the advent candle, everything perfectly in place so that when we came in today, we would know this is a special season. A holy season for the people of God to prepare to receive once again this amazing gift from God. They do so many things and then after Christmas is over, they'll come back in here and put it all away. And get us ready for Epiphany and the next season and the next season and the next season. And we are so grateful. It is indeed a ministry. And let us give thanks to God for those who are willing to serve in the altar guild. And I shared with them the other day, it is indeed a lifetime commitment. (laughs) It's the way we do it in the church. You agree to something, you have to die to get off of it. (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Kind of. First Peter, chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Where Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Even if now for a little while you've had to suffer various trials. So that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold that though perishable is tested by fire. May be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we are so grateful for your love and your grace and for the privilege 
of studying your holy word. And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own. Through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the things that Nancy and I enjoy doing is we will often record a show or a series that's on the television. And at some point when we have time, we'll sit down together and enjoy watching it. So we typically record and then watch. And one of the reasons we do that is is by recording and watching later, we don't have to watch the commercials. We just kind of zip right on through. And and Nancy will tell you that I'm bad about you know putting the remote in my hand. As soon as the commercial comes, here we go, zipping through. Even when the credits come up, it's like fast forward through those. I mean, let's get to the meat of it. Somebody asked her not long ago, said, have you seen the commercial about? And she just stopped and said, I haven't been able to see a commercial for the last five years. <laughs> but one of the shows that we enjoy watching this year is a show called The Good Doctor. Some of you may have seen the show. It's a, it's a really interesting show to watch because there's this young doctor, a young intern, who is, is studying in this great teaching hospital. He's under some, some great surgeons and leaders and And he is autistic. This young surgeon, this intern, is autistic and incredibly brilliant. It's amazing to see the way his his mind works. He he has a photographic memory. He's able just to to see in his head as as something presents itself or they're trying to diagnose what's going on. He he can in his mind just imagine the human anatomy and, and what might be working to cause some of the symptoms or some of the issues that are going on to make a diagnosis. And when they have a diagnosis, if it if it's a very complex thing and they're trying to figure out what can we do, his mind will just work to try to figure out what, what are the possible solutions? Is there one? It's amazing just to kind of watch his mind at work. Well, this past week, and I will not spoil this for you, but in this past week, the story was told of, of this mother who brought her son from the Congo to the United States. He had a, a severe genital heart issue going on, and, and there was no way that he would be able to survive in his own land. So they come to America to go to one of these great teaching hospitals to, to work with these physicians who can, can try to help figure out what is the issue, how can we resolve the issue, is there a way that we can help this young man. And, and this mother, you can imagine, as, as any parent would be, is absolutely desperate for help. I'll do anything for my child. Whatever it takes, I need you to help my son. And she's there with her child, and the doctors examine this young man. He's just as cute as he can be, so fun to be around. He melts the hearts of of everyone around him. But they look and they search, and they think about it, talk about it, just can't seem to find the solution. And so this lead doctor, the head surgeon, comes in to talk to the mother and and he's trying to explain, we've we've looked and with the condition of his heart, there's just nothing we can do. There's just nothing. We might be able to give him some medications that, that might help for a while, but there's just no way that surgery's gonna work. And, and she just will not accept it. And she begins to share with him about her life. And, and he then tries to share of a time that, that he went through a period of hopelessness as well. And 
with a family member who had an incurable illness and and she just won't hear it. She just won't will not accept it. And and she tells him about her life in this village where she lives. And and finally, she said to him, You you do not understand. We want for everything there. For food, for peace, for medicine. But our greatest want, our greatest want is for hope. Wow. We want for everything, for food, for peace, for medicine. But our greatest want is for hope. Can you imagine what life would be like without hope? Can you imagine what it would have been like to wake up this morning and to know there's no hope? None whatsoever. We light this candle as a symbol of Christ, our hope. Jürgen Moltmann, the great German theologian, says that hope is the expectation of a good future which rests on God's promises. The expectation of a good future which rests on God's promises. But there have been times throughout the people of God's history and, and life that, that hopelessness seemed to prevail. For example, the whole Exodus event. Remember the story? Remember the story at the end of, of Genesis when God has blessed and, and the patriarchs have received this covenant and, and, and now there's a famine in the land. So the people of God, the Hebrew people, the people of the covenant, they go to Egypt so that they can survive. And while they're there, Joseph is well respected and the Pharaoh brings him into leadership. And Joseph is able to make sure that, that his people have the provisions and all that they need. But we turn the page to Exodus chapter 1 and we get some terrible news. There was a new Pharaoh who arose in Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he looks around and he sees all these Hebrew people and, and he begins to realize there's a lot of these people. As a matter of fact, there, there's as many of these people as there are of us. And, and if we don't do something soon, they're going to outnumber us and they can outpower us and, and they will overthrow us. And he begins to become very paranoid to the point that to solve the issue, he places all the Hebrew people in slavery for 430 years. The people are enslaved and he uses them and, and others use them to, to make bricks and, and to make the mortar for the bricks. And, and now so many generations, that's all they knew. They were born into slavery. They died in slavery. And, and it just began to seem to be a period where there was no hope whatsoever. And we turn to chapter 3. And we hear that God calls Moses. And what does he say? I have heard the cries of my people and I remembered the promise. I remembered the covenant that I made with them. And so God calls Moses to lead the children of Israel, the Hebrew people, 
out of the land of Egypt and there's all these plagues that go on and these miracles crossing the Red Sea, manna or bread from heaven falling for them to eat, quail falling down for them to eat, water coming out of a rock when they're thirsty. God provided in amazing ways. And then they got ready to enter into the promised land, this land that was flowing with milk and honey. And God said, you need to be careful. It says it throughout Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4, chapter 8. There are different times that, that God will say, you need to be careful because when you enter into this land that's flowing with milk and honey that I'm about to give to you, it all begins to go well. If you're not careful, you'll get complacent. You'll forget who I am. You'll go on to live and, and serve other gods. If you do, I'm warning you now. You will not live here long, but you will be taken captive again. Well, what happens? We just seem to have short-term memory issues. Sometimes you, the people of God start going, what have you done for me lately? And this generation's not as close to God as the previous generation and the next generation and the next generation. And the families stop pushing them, promoting the faith from one generation to the next. And, and pretty soon they're not even following the, the sacred festivals and celebrations of God. And and the next thing you know, they're, they're about to be in trouble. God sends Jeremiah, a great prophet, says to the people, I, God warns you, God warns you. Now I'm trying to tell you, you still have time. There's still a chance. If you will turn back to God, if you will be faithful to God, if you will repent and, and turn around right now, then, then, then there's a chance. There's hope. But, but you, better be, you better be careful. And, of course, the people didn't listen. And soon... The Babylonians come in, conquer Israel, conquer Judah, destroy the temple in Jerusalem, take over the area, bind up the people, carry them out, disperse them throughout the whole region to break down their, their oneness together. And we begin what's known as the Babylonian captivity. But right before, right before the destruction, God said to Jeremiah, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and buy a field. Why? About to lose it all. I shared with a class last Wednesday that B. Davy Napier, a great biblical scholar, said that, that that's like announcing a, a nuclear attack and then going out and buying the land at ground zero. It just didn't seem to make any sense. But what was God saying? This will not last forever. I will remember the covenant. Someday you will return. But not now. Peter. Peter is sharing with us the rest of the story because now Peter is, he knows the story of what God has done through Jesus Christ. He knows the story of the first advent and, and Christmas. And so Peter says, bless me the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why are we blessing God? Why are we praising God? Why are we singing these hymns of praise? Why are we singing selections from the Messiah? Why do we join together? Because, Peter said, out of God's great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope. You have hope. Well, how did that happen? And Peter says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You want to know what hopelessness looks like? You want a good, good, good example of hopelessness? It's called Good Friday. 
Good Friday. Remember the story on Good Friday? Good Friday is the time when, when Jesus was arrested and crucified. I mean, think about what it felt like for the people. They, they've been in bondage. They've been in captivity. They've been in Babylonian captivity. Now, they're, during the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire is occupying Israel. They're captive yet again. And they've not been set free. And, and they're praying to God, send us the Messiah. Send us your anointed king. Send us the Christ. Messiah is the Hebrew word. Christ, Christos is the Greek word. means the same thing. The anointed one of God. Kings were anointed by God. God, send us the new king. Send us the new king on the line of David who will deliver us like Moses delivered us. Send us this Messiah. Jesus shows up. The word gets out. I mean, people are going, have you heard the way Jesus teaches? He teaches as one with authority. Well, there was one time as well when there were crowds of people around and, and, and Jesus took like, like these loaves and fish and, and fed the whole crowd of people. It was the most amazing thing ever. Did you hear about what happened to, to the guy whose daughter had died? I mean, Jesus raised her for a little bit. How many people? Did, I think he's the Messiah. He may be the Messiah, but he's the Messiah. Did you hear what happened with Lazarus? What happened with Lazarus? Oh, what happened with Lazarus? I thought everybody knew what happened with Lazarus. Let me tell you what happened with Lazarus. Lazarus died and was dead for four days. You know what that means? It means he was good and dead. And yet Jesus, when he shows up, is able to raise him from the dead. He came out of the tomb. We got to unwrap him. It was the most incredible thing you've ever seen. You think he's the Messiah. I bet he's the Messiah. I bet he's the one. He's the one. And when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, people are waving palm branches, crying, save us now, because he's the one. They just knew he was the one. But then the oddest thing happened. He's arrested. He's arrested. Even Peter thinks it's time, pulls out the sword and strikes the ear of one of the soldiers. Jesus says, put it back. What's he want? I mean, he's the one. What's he doing? Oh, he's going to let himself be arrested because watch this. He's going to escape here in just a little while. Watch this. It's going to be the most amazing thing. Come on, watch this. And, and they watch then as Jesus is beaten. They, they watch this. If somebody takes a whip and beats him, and they're going, oh, why is he doing this? What, this? He's supposed to be the one. This is, not what, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Watch this. I bet you in just any moment, he's going to turn around and grab that whip because remember how he cleansed out the temple with the whip? Oh, he's going to grab that whip, and it's going to be on here in a minute. Just watch. It's going to happen. didn't happen. And then they, they watched Jesus being sentenced to die on a cross, and and they watched him carrying a cross on what we now refer to as the Via Dolorosa, the way of the cross, weaving his way through Jerusalem to Golgotha where the crucifixions occurred. Oh, watch this. When everybody gets out there, just watch. He's going to turn loose here in a minute and set up his kingdom. But then they saw the cross get laid down on the ground and spikes driven into his hands and his feet. And that wasn't supposed to happen. And then that cross was stood up and they heard the thump as it hit the ground. And then they're going, okay, watch this. And any minute now, the heavens are going to open and we're going to see the angels descend. And, and he's going to come down off that cross and he's going to show the world by this that he's the one. But that's not the way it went. The next thing they know, they heard Jesus go, it is finished. And he died. He died. But he was the one. 
He was our hope. He was our hope. And now he's dead. And they watched as they brought that limp body down off the cross and carried it to a tomb and placed it inside. And a stone goes over against it. You want to know what hopelessness looks like? Good Friday afternoon, Saturday. And Saturday was the Sabbath. It was the time for the people of God to worship God, but sure didn't feel like a whole lot to worship God about on that day, did there? He was the one, now he's in the tomb. But Sunday morning, the first day of the week, early in the morning, God said, now watch this. And it's then that God raised Jesus from the dead. And Jesus comes out of the grave and and God ultimately proclaims victory over both sin and death and gives us not only hope, but Peter says, living hope. Living hope that will last forever and offers us an inheritance in the fullness of God's kingdom. And then he says, and although you may suffer for a little while, it will not last forever because God has something planned for you. Hope is the expectation of a good future which rests on God's promise. And does God have something in store for you? The fullness of the kingdom of God, imperishable, undefiled, kept in heaven for you. The salvation of your souls. You see, sometimes we get this idea that if we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior Lord, everything's going to be easy, everything's going to be rosy, everything's just going to be perfect. I accept Jesus, everything's going to be amazing. I give a tithe in the offering. That means I'm going to be rich because I just heard that the other night on TV. It was late at night. I turned it on. That's what they were saying, that if I would just get up and write a check right then, I'd never have to worry again. That's the understanding. If I just believe in Jesus, do a couple things, everything's going to be rosy. But then you and I both know that's not always true because I've walked with some of you through your stories. And we've all gone through challenges in our lives where we wonder, where is God in this? And Peter says, you may be tested for a while. But when God returns, just hold on to your hope. And you'll celebrate with praise and glory and honor this God who gives you living hope, the outcome of your faith. You know, in our world today, we could use some hope. I mean, it's it's scary. One of the things I I used to do on a regular basis and periodically I catch myself and I have to change. And that is that I would get in my car as I'd be going somewhere, I'd always turn on the news still do because I want to be able to hear is something happening in the world that that we need to react to something that that we know we may need to talk about where is God in the midst of this so I'll turn on the news I used to leave it on most all the time I just can't do that anymore 
It'll just get you down, won't it? I mean, you start hearing news about missile launches out of North Korea, and how are we going to deal with that, and how are we going to deal with this, and you got a problem over here, and a problem over there, and, and, and then, you know, there are leadership issues, and leadership issues there, and, and then, you know, you, you start kind of watching the way we try to deal with problems, or the, the solutions we come up with, and it doesn't matter which side you're on, you're just scratching your head going, seriously, is that the best we can do? And it, it, it can just get you down. We could use some hope. I remember when I moved, we moved to King. So Nancy and I, when we you know, were first married, I was still a student in college, and we served in a little church here in Monroe for a couple of years as a student pastor. Then we moved up to Cherokee, and we lived there while I went to seminary for the three years. And then the fourth year, we stayed there. You know, I was their first full-time pastor that they had had, and then we moved to King. I was young, straight out of seminary, nervous about, you know, this is my first church. Actually, I had two churches. You know, and, and two churches can be challenging for you because, you know, here we have multiple services. Well, there you have multiple services. You just have to drive in between. And, and so, you know, I, in my first Sunday, I was kind of nervous. I, I preached at the 930 service. And, and then, you, you know, you get in the car and, and you're rushing to get over to, to the other service. And you're hoping and praying that if you run into law enforcement on the way that they're Christians. Because you know you're in a hurry to get to the other church. And you're hoping, if I leave my robe on, maybe that'll help. <laughs> yeah, you rush into the other church because you're nervous. It's your very first Sunday. And, and I pulled in at Bethel Church. And, and, and there's this little guy. He's about this tall. And, and he was bald-headed. He was just the nicest guy you've ever met. And his name was Paul. Paul Secrets, he would, he would regularly meet me when I would pull in there and and Paul just always had something to say. And one of the things, like my very first Sunday, I pull in at 11, you know, right before 11 o'clock. And I'm trying to rush to get into the church. And he goes, now, preacher, here you can preach as long as you want. That's why we like the 11 o'clock service. Because, you know, the earlier service, like when you're serving a charge, you're preaching at 930. But, you know, you've got to get in the car by 1035 to drive to the other church and to be able to get in and get ready and, and start that service. So you've, you've always got to get in on time. 11 o'clock, we're going to finish this sermon. And so, you know, Paul gets up and he goes, Preacher, here, you can preach as long as you want. But we leave at 12. <laughs> Very first Sunday, that's what I heard. Still nervous, you know, and sometime later I'd preach a sermon. He came out and, and, and he looked at me and he shook my hand and he goes, you did so good. I said, thank you. And he goes, until you stood up. <laughs> and how are you supposed to respond to that? I mean, he was just always cutting up, having a good time. And finally, one day I pulled in and he goes, what you preaching on today? We're walking to the church because he always waited for me. And we'd walk together into the sanctuary. What are you going to preach on today? I said, sin. He said, are you for it or against it? <laughs> I said, all I can tell you is you need to sit really close to the altar rail because you're going to be there for a while. <laughs> he was always cutting up, but there was one thing that, that he said seriously that I've never forgotten when things go rough. When there would be a difficult time, somebody going through a difficult time, church dealing with a difficult issue, one of the things he would always say to help keep us in perspective is, thank God it's not eternal. No matter what the issue was that somebody would be going through, 
the guy who was always clowning around, joking, having a good time, would seriously, sincerely look and go, well, thank God it's not eternal. This won't last forever. But Peter says you have a living hope that will. You have a living hope that will. That's eternal. Maltmine goes on to say that faith ties a person to the crucified Christ. So hope opens up this faith to the all-embracing future of the risen Christ. Faith ties a person to the crucified Christ. So hope opens up this faith to the all-embracing future of the risen Christ. John Wesley put it this way, living hope implies true spiritual life, which revives the heart and makes the soul lively and vigorous. You can praise God because all this other stuff, it's not eternal. But your living hope is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the notes with Wesley go on to say, Thus our hope is undying and our future immune to all that threatens us in this world. To put it another way, Edward Mote said this, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. When darkness veils this lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. His oath his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way. He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. And when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, Faultless to stand before the throne. For on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. And my hope is built on nothing less. Will you pray with me? God, we live in a world that needs hope. And we light this candle as a symbol of Christ, our hope. And God, we pray that you would help us as we leave these, this sacred room through these doors and life hits us to realize that's not eternal, but you and our living hope are. And we place our hope and faith in the risen Christ. In his precious name we pray. Amen.